Thank you for sharing that, Angel. Appreciate it. This morning, we're going to uh, dive into a, a new series um, entitled The Not So Inconsequential. What does inconsequential mean? It's a big word. Any ideas? Inconsequential. Doesn't make a difference. Is it a word? Did I make it up? Or is it an actual word? It was a word in my head. Maybe it doesn't exist. We're going to talk about the, uh, the minor prophets. We're going to dive into a series, um, the not-so-inconsequential, or the minor prophets. They, were, they weren't wizards. They weren't sorcerers. They rarely did anything spectacular or miraculous. They were brought in a dark time when there was not much being heard from God. Many of them separated by years of rebellion and bondage. Most of them just bringing a simple message from God. When messages from God weren't being listened to or heard. Most of them were killed or hated. Um, for, for most of the rest of their lives, their families, the obvious, uh, at many times, were, were taken out of, of circulation. They were taken out of general population um, because they were so crazy. The series will t- kick off today, like I said, is called Not the Not So Inconsequential. Even though they weren't very well known then or now, they were God's messengers. Anytime God speaks, whether through a messenger, through his word, we should listen. They are known as the minor prophets. How many of you memorize the, the books of the Old Testament? Can you quote them verbatim, Genesis through, through Malachi? Anybody? Yeah? Okay, so I want, you to, I want you to keep quiet for just a minute. Those of you who know them, memorize them from, from Genesis to, to Malachi. How many of you know any of the minor prophets? Obviously, this morning, we looked at a few of them. Without looking at the front of your bulletin, how many of you can, can just name some of the minor prophets off the top of your head? Yeah, some? Yeah? Shout them out. Who can, name, name one or two. Way in the back. Malachi. Malachi's one. Amos. Amos. Yeah, famous Amos. Not cookies. We're not talking about cookies. Famous Amos. <coughs> There's lots of... Um, Lots of interesting characters, and um, you know, but what could you tell me about Amos? What could you tell me about Malachi? What could you tell me about these characters? How about Nahum? What's his story? Anybody know, know the story of Nahum? Huh? Not too many. I think this series is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for me. I've never taught through the, the minor prophets. I've taught stories out of... Of, of various ones and pulled verses out of various ones, but I've never actually taught through the whole series. So I told Adam earlier today, so you guys got to be easy on me. No, no tomatoes, no rotten eggs. Um, this is going to be an interesting experience for me. Uh, but I think it'll be good. We want to look at each of their stories, what made them not so inconsequential then, and what makes them important to us today. You know, even the names are interesting. Don't have anything um, bad to say really about homeschoolers, except oftentimes they'll go to the minor prophets for their names. Um, you know, this is little Obadiah, and this is Joel, and this is little Micah. They're good. They're good names. They just they just are, I guess. If you have a name that's one of the minor prophets, I apologize. 
But before we get too far, I want to give uh, uh, just a brief background. So, so history is not my favorite thing in the world. And so I'm going to give you 1,500 years of, of history in, in less than a minute. Somebody got a timer? Ready, set, go. Uh, we're gonna, but we're going to start with Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. What were they? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Joseph sold his brothers, was sold by his brothers into Egypt. The nation of Israel moves to Egypt and prospers there for 400 years, right? Exodus out of Egypt across the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Joshua takes them across the Jordan into the promised land. Then there were judges before Israel decides they want a king. Saul, David, Solomon lead the United Kingdom. Rehoboam, Jeroboam split the, split the nation and they become the divided kingdom. Israel goes to the north. Judah goes to the south, is that right? Or is that the way around? Okay, Israel north, Judah south. And this was a wicked time. And God sent prophets to preach in this time. Who's my timer? Does I make it? 1,500 years in a minute? Good deal. We could have spent, man, we can spend like 50 weeks on just the history leading up to the minor prophets. Oh, well. So I want us to look at the, the problem with prophets then and now. I want us to look at a passage of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. Open your Bibles. Um, find them in your apps. 1 Kings chapter 22. The first and seconds in the Old Testament are all together. The first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, first, second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles. They're all three together. I want you to find the middle ones. If you find the first and seconds, you're close. First and second Kings, but we're going to look at first Kings this time, chapter 22. First Kings chapter 22. You got it? Are you there? Give me a nod. Yeah? Okay. All right. First Kings 22, starting in verse 1. For three years there's been no war between Aram and Israel. Then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. Right? So they're divided. They're living divided. But Jehoshaphat goes up to see King Ahab. Ahab's not the most... Um, great, most great individual in the world. Who's he married to? Anybody know who Ahab was married to? Jezebel. Anybody want to name their kid Jezebel? Probably not, right? Anytime you hear the word Jezebel, it's probably a wicked woman, right? Well, not always, but hopefully you don't have a a niece named Jezebel. I've heard people's dogs named Jezebel. Maybe a pig or a goat. An ornery pig or goat, maybe. Yeah, it'd be good. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram. Then he turned to Jehoshaphat and asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat replies to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are as one, even though we're divided kings of me, even though there's a boundary between us, and even though we can't get along and can't, can't work together and can't... Yeah, we're going to do it. Let's do it. Why, of course, you and I are one. My troops are your troops, and your horses are my horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, but first, let's find out what the Lord says. Even though neither one of us are following God, even though neither one of us really care what God thinks, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to go ahead and ask God if it's okay if um, we do this. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them, and asked them, should I go to war with Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? They all replied, yeah, go ahead. The Lord will give you, give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, 
Is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. So, once again, Ahab, king of the north, Jehoshaphat, king of the south, they have this meeting, and during their meeting, they decide that they're going to try to recapture Ramoth Gilead. They call in the prophets, and there's 400 of them. It's like if you kicked a soccer ball down the street, it would bounce off the heads of four or five prophets. There's a ton of prophets in this day and age. They're all over the place because it was a very profitable thing. If you said the right thing, if you, said, if you told the king the right thing, there, there was profit in it for you. Profit, get it? Yeah, no. Not that kind of profit. But there was a lot of them. So there was 400 of them that showed up. Jehoshaphat says, you know, we're, neither one of us are really uh, following God, but we should at least ask the prophets. So what do they say? Yeah, go for it. You go for it. Get out there, capture Ramoth Gilead, uh, no problem. These prophets were plentiful. There was lots of them, they were, and they all wanted to say what the king wanted to hear. Verse 8, look at it with me, verse 8. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, There is one more man who could consult the Lord for us. But I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Ahab really just didn't like the guy. Because every time Ahab called on this particular prophet, he prophesied something negative about him. You ever been there? You just didn't want to come to church because you didn't want to hear that guy who's, who's always into your stuff and always telling you what you really don't want to hear. This is the problem. It's the problem with prophets then. It's the problem with prophets now. You can always find a prophet that will tell you what you want to hear. Let's keep going. Verse 10. King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, son of uh, Kenanah, made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says. With these horns, you will gore the Armenians to death. All of the other prophets agreed. Yes, they said, go to Ramoth Gilead and be victorious for the Lord will give you, you give the king the victory. <laughs> One prophet runs home. He, he, he glues some horns on his, in his, on his helmet and he comes back to the king. He says, he's dancing around. Yeah, we can do this. You can gore him with, the, with these horns. And all the other prophets are like, oh man, why didn't we think of that? Right? They're like trying to come up with great ideas and great ways to tell the king that they're going to be successful. Anytime that it just sounds too good to be true, you might, you might want to question it. Jehoshaphat sensed something was wrong here. He sensed that something was up. Anytime you're at church, anytime you hear something that just kind of makes you feel good and the message is, is always comfortable, I suggest you run. Something's probably wrong. I'm not saying we're here to cause trouble for the sake of causing trouble, but God asks us to disrupt the selfishness that creeps in on all of us. If what you're hearing today, claiming to be the Word of God, always makes you feel good, you should run. We live in a day and age where you can find them on your TV remote. The preachers. There are dozens of churches in the area all over the city who are going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. You can always find a prophet to tell you what you want to hear. Problem back then, it's a problem now. 
It's much easier to listen to that voice that makes you feel good rather than that one who holds me accountable for my actions. The one who has godly expectations for me. That one's not so, not so comfortable. Be careful of those people in religious organizations that will, will throw their arms around you and, and pray nothing but blessings over your family. Beware of the ones that claim to control the promises. Beware of the ones that say, well, we'll come down to our meeting and we're going we're gonna to have some prophecy. Really? You're calling the shots on this one? You're better than, than God's word? Jehoshaphat starts to suspect that these prophets really aren't pulling anything from God himself. So the hated prophet is called. He's on his way down. And he, on, on his way down, he's pulled aside, pulled aside by a messenger. Look at verse 13. 1 Kings 22, verse 13. Look at it. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, Look, all the prophets are promising victory for this king. Be sure that you agree with them and, and, and promise success. But Micaiah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. You want a picture of a prophet? There it is. I don't control what I say. God does that. He's the one making the calls. The messenger's like, come on, dude. There's 400 of them saying the same thing. And they're all saying that the the king is going to be successful. Don't say anything different than that because you want the king mad. Verse 15, look at it. When Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? Micaiah replied sarcastically, Yeah, go for it uh, and be victorious. For the Lord will, will give, you, give the king the victory. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Go, go ahead, easy win. Start the bus. Have you ever been on a, a football game and they, the, the high school kids are winning, they're beating them by, you know, 20 to nothing and they start chanting start the bus start the bus why it's over it's as good as over you might as well get on back home Micaiah's being a little sarcastic he's like all right i'm just gonna go home just a bit of sarcasm look at verse 16 the king sees through it king replied sharply how many times must i demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak from the lord Then Micaiah told him, In a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, Their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Verse 18. Didn't I tell you? The king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Your entire army is going to run away because the king will be killed. King said, See, this guy only brings bad things to me. Throw him in prison. When I return from battle safely, I'll deal with this bad prophet. Micaiah, on his way, being carried off to prison, shouts back, Mark my words, you won't return from battle. And sure enough, King Ahab was killed. The prophet was right. This is the time, this is the time and age where the man. Sometimes his family were hated and even killed. Micaiah thrown in prison because he prophesied against King Ahab. They know that today might be their last. These were the men who knew 
They were going to be outmanned, outgunned, outnumbered by many false voices. These were the guys who loved their people and loved God and couldn't keep it inside. They decided to let it go and embrace whatever it was that came their way. First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles were written at about the same time that, that these men were around. They were simultaneously in the same same time frame. We'll look at a time we'll look at a timeline in just a minute. But in a similar way, Paul wrote to a young preacher named Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how to live right. There are lots of voices in a lot of churches that will never correct you when you're wrong. There will be much encouragement. Many under the context of religion will tell you that whatever lifestyle you choose is fine. As long as you keep loving God. As long as you are nice to others and believe in God, then everything's going to work out just fine for you. Paul continues in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, For a time is coming... When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. There are times when I don't like what God's word has to say. There are times when I get done Sunday morning and I wonder on my way home as I travel. I wonder if any of you will come back the next week. It's outright scary sometimes what God throws my way. What he guides me to say. It's not always easy. Nothing like the the (laughs) Micaiah's information that he gave the king, right? But some of it's not all that easy. So let's keep it simple. What does a prophet mean? What's the word prophet mean? Simply means one who speaks for someone else. I have prophets at my house. Um, One named Cameron... Uh, you know, Carol gets dinner ready, and I ask Cameron to go outside and tell the other kids it's time to come in and, and eat. And she walks out, and now watch the prophet. She'll, she'll, she'll split the patio door, and she'll walk out onto the deck. And she'll proclaim at the top of her voice, It's time to eat! She speaks on my behalf. When her siblings don't listen, she gets frustrated would love to pick up a magic wand and turn them into a newt. (laughs) But they don't come in as toads. She doesn't have that power. She simply says, Dad said, come on, it's time to eat. Dad said. The prophets were the same. They just had words from God. There were times when these guys did some cool things, but most of the time, they simply just, God just said, go tell them. Why were they the minor prophets? Were they less important? No, just simply shorter books. They were just a little shorter. They were just as important. They had the same message, the same God. They seemed to be in somewhat chronological order, but not in all cases. They were in some cases paralleling, uh, like I said, First Corinthians or First Kings and Second First Second Chronicles, First Second Kings. 
They even sometimes coincide at the same time as some of the other major prophets. Don't think of them as less important, just smaller books. We're calling them the not-so-inconsequential. These Old Testament prophets, and they were, they were preachers that just said what God told them to. Things will go better for you if any time you see the word prophet in the Bible, you simply write preacher next to it. These guys weren't predicting the future nearly as much as we tend to think they did. They really just told people what God told them to say. Anytime you find the word prophet in your Bible, you can just simply write the word preacher next to it. God gave them a message to deliver, and they were the ones chosen to give it. Motivating in the present more than they predicted the future. They really just tried to get God's word into the people's hearts. These guys were more about the day they lived in than, than looking at the future. There was less about, it was less about the future, more about just what's going on right then and there. More concerned about revealing God than future events. More excited about getting people of their day to see who God was. That's what they were about. Why do we need prophets? What's so important about prophets? Why, why do we even have them? Well, I want you to look at another passage of scripture with me. This one's not on the screen either. I want us to go to Deuteronomy. You know where Deuteronomy is? That's a long, that's a long, how many words, how many letters is that? Five, six, seven, eleven letter book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book in the Old Testament. Back to the beginning. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. I want us to read um, part of this passage. This really kind of gives us an idea of why we need prophets. Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 9. You with me? Did you find it? All right, read along with me. I'm reading out of the NLT if you want to switch and follow word for word. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And, and do not let your people practice fortune telling and use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells. Or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits from the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to, to displace consult sorcerers and, and fortune tellers. But the Lord your God forgid, forbids you to do such things. Look at verse 15. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you yourselves requested at the, of the Lord your God, when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord, your, our God, anymore. Or, or see this blazing fire, for we will die. They were scared. The Israelites were scared of actually meeting face to face with God. They requested, okay, let's not, let's not hear from God. Let's hear from somebody else. Let's hear from a prophet. Verse 17. Then the Lord said to me, when they have said this right, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among the fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages of the prophet proclaims on my behalf. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name and who speaks in the name of another God must die. But you may wonder, well, how will we know whether or not the prophecy is from the Lord? 
If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without an authority and need not be feared. Why did he give us prophets? Because it was a dark time. The nation needed some help. They were in a bad spot. They were in a dark area of, of history. Look at the timeline. Did I put that on the screen? Did I put that on the um, PowerPoint? The timeline? Yeah, perfect. So this is kind of a timeline of, of where, where, what was going on at the time. You see Egypt on the left, on the top bar there. Egypt on the left is kind of going out of power. Assyrian Empire was coming in. They were, they were north and, and east of, of where the Israelites were. Um, the Babylonian Empire also comes up from the south. Uh, they were more the, uh, the Babylonians. Well, obviously Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it's modern day Iraq and Iran. The Persian Empire there at the tail end. Uh, right in the middle. Right when the world is switching powers, we find the minor prophets. Northern kingdom ends. You see there on the bottom bar, uh, Israel. It looks kind of like a sideways goalpost. Israel splits into two, right? Rehoboam s- splits the nation into two. Northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. The northern kingdom ends right about 720, 722, somewhere in there. And then the southern kingdom goes a little bit longer, ends about five. About 587 is when Babylon takes them over from the south. Then we have that moment in time of of total exile. Where God's people were not in their own land. They were away from from their land. And then we have the dotted line. I I put a dotted line there because... God's people really didn't have a king or a kingdom at that time. They were in their own land, but they, they didn't have a king or kingdom. If you want to be specific, the prophet that we're talking about today, Hosea, he lands right between about 750 and 720. So if you can imagine drawing a line at that, you know, that 750 mark all the way over to 720, it's right at the end of uh, where the northern kingdom of Israel kind of fades out and kind of gets taken over um, by Assyria. So that's kind of the timeline um, of, what, of what's going on there. So, the first prophet in the Bible, the first minor prophet that we're going to cover, and like I said, it's not necessarily chronological because there was a couple of them that were before Hosea's time, um, but God puts this story in where he, where he chooses to put it. We're going to start off with Hosea. I want you to find Hosea in the Bible. We read some if, in our discussion groups. Um, we read some about who he was, about what his life and what his family life looked like. Hosea chapter 1, 2, and 3 um, is what we're going to focus on today. And then we'll talk about the rest of his life in part 2 next week. Uh, this was once again a dark time. They, God spoke to his people. And a lot of times God spoke to through the preachers in, in life illustrations. He took them, uh, he, he made them do goofy things, sometimes goofier than others. Uh, to illustrate a point, to make a point about what he was trying to say. These were life analogies, and I want us to meet Hosea. God said, Hosea, I want your marriage to be the greatest picture about how I feel about my people. Hosea's life was an illustration of God's anger and wrath for Israel. Uh, like I said, we read it during discussion groups, and we, we see how dysfunctional, uh, how crazy it was that God asked him to marry an adulterous woman, a prostitute, 
So Hosea chapter 1 is all about his family and this illustration that God sets up. Hosea chapter 2 is all about God. It's poetic. It's all about how God uh, illustrating how it makes him feel, what's taking place. Over and over again, he uses this word that literally means whoring around. Right? Israelites were whoring around. Like Gomer, Hosea's wife, she was a prostitute. She was an adulterous woman. Hosea knew that, and, and God asked her to marry her. Just like Israel was whoring around with all of the idols and all of the sorcery and all of the junk that they were getting themselves into, Gomer was the same way. And then Hosea chapter 3, Hosea follows through with what God has said. He follows through and he goes and he buys her back. He pays off the pimp with all that he has. And I I don't know if you noticed this, but in chapter 3, it's not very many verses, just a, a few verses. Find that place in there where it says about how much it costs Hosea to buy back Gomer. You see where it says it? It says it cost him how much? That's how much money he had. This prophet had a little bit of money. He had 15 shekels. But what else did he have to do? He had to sell everything he had. He had to sell some grain. He had to sell some, some, some other things. Was it the oil or the wine that he had to sell in order to, to get Gomer back? It cost him a lot to get Gomer back. We want to look at Hosea's bizarre and heartbreaking marriage illustration. We need to understand the depth and pain of our sin toward God. Hosea, this is how it makes me feel. I I brought them out of Egypt and I committed myself to them. I put a ring on my finger and I put one on theirs. And they turned on me. They went whoring around on me. Hosea, do you understand how this makes me feel? God says, I don't, I don't think you do. I want you to watch your wife commit adultery on a daily basis. I want, to see, I want you to see the guys in the streets that paid to have your wife on Friday night. God says, I want you to, uh, to know what it feels like to have a wife who has done that. So you can understand how God feels about the sin of his people. At church, we constantly talk about how much God loves us and how, how nothing can separate us from God's love. We try to understand the depth of his love, but we also must understand the depth of the hurt and pain he feels when we sin. The little sins that we think are innocent, our priorities get a little mixed up, are treating our spouse like dirt, running over our kids so that we can get ahead at work, holding on to more than our share of what God has blessed us with financially. It's living on crutches of alcohol and drugs. It's allowing the habits of gossip and slander to stick around. It's the little physical habits, the tobacco, the the pornography. We have to understand the depth of the pain it causes our Lord. Hosea, marry a prostitute so that you get it. So that you understand the depth of betrayal. God uses the most intimate relationship we as humans can experience to illustrate how it feels for God to be betrayed on a daily basis. We're whoring around, messing with it. He could have used other analogies, but he kicked off this book and 12 others with this particular story. The deepest, most intimate human relationship, the relationship between a husband and a wife. We have a God that loves us, But we have a God that hurts deeply when he sees us day in and day out, 
night after night, selling out to whatever Satan throws our way. We're whoring around on God. Hosea, this one's going to hurt. Do it in front of the church. Do it in front of my people. Live out this illustration. Then he says, buy her back. What? After she betrayed me over and over and over again, I have to buy her back? She hasn't earned it. She doesn't deserve it. She's lost herself to sin. Hosea, spend all your money. Spend everything you have to gain her back. We just finished a series about the radical Jesus and how amazing he was. He loved us enough to buy us back when we didn't deserve it. He paid the ultimate price to buy us back. We have to understand the depth and pain of our sin toward God. But also, we must understand the depth and commitment of God's love toward us. Like I said, Hosea isn't the first chronologically, but God said, let's start with this story, this analogy. The next several weeks as we roll through these minor prophets, I want this image of what Hosea went through to describe what God goes through. I want it burned in our brains. No matter what she's done, no matter where she's been, I want her back. That's the image we want implanted deep in our minds and our hearts. These guys weren't just gloom and doom. These guys were telling the story of how much God loves us. No one can say, I'm too far gone for God to love me. You can't read a story about Hosea and Gomer and think, well, I'm just too far gone. I could never be accepted in this family. No, you're not too far gone. He starts with this story of ultimate and unconditional love. Sometimes letting us feel the depth of our sin and allowing us to go to a place where we hit rock bottom only to make sure that we feel his strong hand reaching down to bring us back. And we hear his voice saying, you are deeply and passionately and intimately loved by an almighty God. Time's running out. You've got to come out. You've got to come out of it now. That's the voice of the minor prophets. Hosea was a crazy character and was made to do some amazing things. But it's to teach and illustrate an amazing point that God's trying to make. He loves us deeply. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for putting a ring on our finger and and putting one on yours. And God, never taking your ring off. God, we dump ours constantly. At the drop of a hat, we take it off and we we just let it roll around in the the mud and the muck, and we hide it, God, because we want to do what we want to do. We're selfish. We're selfish brats, God, when it comes to these things. We've removed ourselves from you so many times, but you just continue to come back and love us anyway. God, I pray that we can understand from this story, this illustration of of how Hosea had to marry this adulterous woman. God, we'll understand that that's what And how bad it hurts when we wander away from you. God, but help us also understand that it's it's that ultimate love that you want. And you did purchase us back. You brought us back. Not because we deserved it. 
but because you loved us that much. God, thank you for doing that for us. Thank you for reclaiming us, for redeeming us, for wanting us back. And God, help us to realize that even this week, we have a choice to make, whether we betray you or whether we stay true to you. Help us to leave here with a renewed a renewed spirit to allow us to pursue you more wholeheartedly. Be more dedicated, more committed to our relationship with you. God, help us to stop whoring around. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.